morning, everybody. Did you like that last hymn? Oh, it's, it's, it's gold, isn't it? It's just one of those hymns that lift your spirits about what the Lord's done for us. Now, I don't know if I'm right or wrong in this. I probably won't live long enough to find out. But um, there's a few hymns that have gone down through the ages that are just always still used, or often still used. And for one of them, for my mind, is How Great Thou Art. Do you know that? No, <laughs> he's bigger than me. <laughs> Guys, and I wonder if that one, he's paid our ransom, could be a song that'll outlast the generation that wrote it. Like How Great Thou Art and There Is a Green Hill Far Away and those sorts of great hymns. I don't know if you'll ever know, but it's a good song. So whoever chose, who chooses the music? Well done, a oh, good and faithful servant. Let's bow our heads. Oh Lord, we come here, Father, with hearts to worship you, with open hearts to hear from you. And so we pray that you will fill the openness of our hearts with the peace and comfort of your word, Lord. Amen. So, <clears throat> the titles of Christmas is what we're looking at today and we're continuing on from uh, Isaiah where we finished last week at uh, the darkness that was all around them. Now, I've got a few reflections here by way of introduction. Christmas is a divine celebration. First, second slide. Thanks. Oh, there you go. Well done. Uh, we're on the page. Christmas is a divine celebration operating between the Creator's intent and what the world thinks. Somehow, the world doesn't get Christmas right the birth of Jesus, but somehow it's still a divine celebration that we want to live, we want to be, uh, be part of. I was uh, at a doctor's the other day. You probably find it hard to believe my good looks and my fine sense, sense of humour. Well, why would this fellow want to go to a doctor's? Anyway, I walk into, walk into the surgery, it's my, my time for the appointment. He's a friendly sort of chap. And he said to me, don't you hate this Christmas? I said, oh, what's wrong with it? He said, oh, it's all the waste that comes down and it's all the, um, the presents and, and, and all the hassle that Christmas season brings. So I said to him, you know I'm a Christian, don't you? <laughs> and then the conversation changed. <laughs> so it's just, the, world, the world doesn't have Christmas right. So we're in that space of the overlap of the ages where we're always going to want to celebrate Jesus' birth and the time where there'll be nobody there that doesn't want to. So I see that Christmas is in that space. Now names often indicate character on people. So looking at the names of the, of, uh, the good Lord in this passage seems to me to be quite wise. Let me read to you a little, little two verses I spoke of last week about the darkness that the Israelites were in. Uh, I spoke to them. I thought I'd read them to you this, today. The writer, the author, whoever it is, so it's Psalm 120, says, Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Do you remember I briefly mentioned that last week? You can't say yes, Steve. I wonder how often you felt that. No one person that wants peace, but everybody around me wants, wants to argue. And I wonder how many times within the family you have arguments 
when you should be having harmony. But it just gets snatched away. It just doesn't work like that. So whoever wrote Psalm 120 was a person that um, wanted to live peace, but he was living in disharmony. He's living with people who are arguing war. Now, to go back to Isaiah, the people in darkness and distress will have their burdens lifted by a child. A baby carries the government. The baby's going to rule. Now, there's a conundrum in here, a paradox, isn't there? How, does people, how do people in darkness and distress get things changed when you get a child? When there's, happy, there's happiness in receiving a child, but, but children bring burdens as well as they bring blessing. And God's sending a baby to turn it all around. Reflect on the uh, passage of Isaiah 9 here today. Really, what we've got is the totality of God in a very small parcel. All the all the the titles, the four titles we'll look at: the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, are a summation of God. And we're going to develop that a bit more in a, in a moment. So, if you've got your Bibles open, you might, or you, if, if you if you do have your Bibles, you might like to have them open at Isaiah 9. I can tell you the page number in my Bible. It's not going to help. So Jesus has been given the title, He Will Be Called Wonderful Counselor. Consider the source of your counsel. So I went to the doctor the other day, and he's a good doctor, and he gave me the right tablets and told me how to take them and all that sort of stuff. But I shouldn't have listened to his counsel on Christmas, should I? The problem with the Israelites is they, they were consulting somebody that had no light of dawn. So they're looking for help in the, in the places where you can't get help. Last week I talked about what informs you, forms you. Remember that? So where we get our information from, it is what it forms what we become and how we think. Our values and our life uh, directions and discussion. So we still live in a world where you've got the clash of the tree of life and the clash of the tree of knowledge. Because the tree of knowledge is always going to contradict the tree of life. That's what's happened since Eden. Have I talked a much about the tree of life, the tree of knowledge here? We might get onto that in February because the sources of knowledge we take in are either from the tree of life or they are from the tree of knowledge. Now, I'm not boasting, but what you're getting here from me today is from the tree of life because it gives you life, this information, and it's from God's word. So if I pick up a commentary on the Bible... It might be from the tree of life or it might be from the tree of knowledge. Because the tree of knowledge does two things. It gives you good and it gives you evil. Now the first fruit of the tree of knowledge, who can tell me in Eden? As soon as they ate of that, that tree, they ate the apple, whatever fruit it was, what happened? What was the first fruit? Pardon? Yes, I hadn't thought of that. That's not a bad fruit. But you're right, their eyes were opened. 
Let's, let's just say the second fruit then. Thanks, Basil. They, shame came upon them. So when you're getting information from various sources, check how kosher the source is because the Israelites weren't getting good information from kosher sources. And where there's darkness, they only got more distress. And then they looked up, shook their heads, hands at God because they were getting their information from the wrong place. So the tree of knowledge makes itself look good because it tells good things. Now, think about for a moment the internet. The internet is as good as it is evil. And where it's good, it is very, very, very good. And where it's evil, it's the same. So how do I know where I'm getting my knowledge from? By the fruits. You pick a tree by the fruits it bears. If you're getting knowledge that builds you up in pride, that's from the tree of knowledge. If you're getting knowledge that builds your spirit up in humility, you're getting that from the tree of life. Am I making sense with this? Because it's a bit of a digression. So where you get your information from is most important. So Jesus comes as a wonderful counsellor. We're not going to lose when we get information from Jesus. It's not going to hurt us. I come to build you up and not tear you down. I come to give you life and life to the full. So this is not the counsel from the dead. A person who is a wonderful counsellor is not going to give you counsel from the dead. And they do it to this day. They were getting counsel from the dead when I was in India six months ago, four months ago. Now, I don't believe, another little aside, that you actually can get counsel from the dead because they're dead. And they, now have, they have no longer, they no, they no longer have a place on earth. They're on the wrong side of the grass, aren't they? So where are they getting their counsel from? Where are they getting, it's Satan and his minions. I don't mean his minions as in cartoons. When Satan fell from heaven, when he was expelled from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. Revelation 12. Third. I've got no idea how many that is, but I've got a vibe that it's a lot. And Satan's the prince of the air. He doesn't have a home. He roams across the earth. Job 1. Goes to God and God says, and where have you come from? He said, I've come from roaming across the earth. He's, he's got no home. He lost his home when he left heaven, when he was expelled from heaven. And what Satan's got is his fallen angels, which seems to me to be demons, that are now teaching these people here. And you can go down the main street of Windsor and get the same teaching. Down the Windsor Mall. I lived here in the mid-80s and Windsor wasn't like it is now. There wasn't even a mall there. Now you know the shops that have got the tarot card readings and the, and the star signs and all that sort of thing? That's not from the Lord. That's from the dark side, not the light side. So, he is wonderful because he does not have to seek anybody else's advice. I went to the doctor because another doctor sent me to him because the other first doctor wanted the advice of a second doctor. And the first doctor was a genius. 
And I would have thought he was all okay. But then I need to get another opinion. So that never ever happens when Jesus is your counsellor. He has no place to go. He doesn't need any further consultations. He does not seek any other's advice. He made the world. He flung the stars into space. There's no way in the world he's going to need to go to somebody else. That's why he's wonderful. His counsel is at, is at the apex of knowledge. So, could any repentant soul ever doubt the sufficiency of Jesus to guide and strengthen and comfort? He can give us the comfort that he learned from being on the cross. So there's nothing that's going to cross our path. There's going to be no need um, or darkness or desperation that he hasn't already been through. Been there, done that, he can say. So his counsel is always going to be correct. And to have this sort of counsel available at your fingertips proves that he is God. He's wonderful because he doesn't need to go anywhere else. Mighty God, the next one. There's always been discussion, hasn't there, about the distinction between man and God. It's the eternal content of history and legend. When I was uh, uh, in primary school, I loved reading uh, Greek myths, Roman myths, Norse myths, Norse myths. That's harder to say. Did any of you ever like reading myths? Just stories, fascinating stories that... Basil's close. Thanks, Basil. You're having a good day, mate. Um, there's a book I read called Tanglewood Tales. And my son is now 30. For some reason started to get into uh, reading some myth mythological material. I said, oh, there's a good book you can get for that, Daniel. I lost my book. He read, read this. And uh, I found it on Amazon, which made me feel really well chuffed. That I could still buy this old book that I, that I hadn't seen for 50 years. And history and legend is always discussing what the gods are in the myths and what man's relationship to gods are. And of course, you go back to Rome, ancient Rome, they believed that their emperors were gods until they died. <laughs> no, they actually don't understand. They think gods can die, but that's another discussion, isn't it? So I must get this right because... Being a mighty God is not found in anything else, anyone else, anywhere else. He is the mighty God. You want to see what God-likeness is, you look at Jesus. Strength and might, now there seems to me to be a, a follow-on, a, a sequential flow. If Jesus is the wonderful counsellor, he must have strength and might as a result because he always knows how to get it right. So if you're fighting, arguing, if you're following or you're listening to somebody who always gets everything right, you're going to see that he's got strength because he knows how to get it, he knows how to keep it, he knows how to use it. Jesus is not weak and powerless like darkness. And if you read the, part, the passage from last week, all the darkness did was give them distress. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they are famished, they will become enraged, looking upward and curse, <coughs> looking upward and will curse their king and their God. 
So the end result of the council going to the medium and the spiritists was what? It was distress. And they wandered across the earth. According to his, uh, They will roam through the land where they are famished. Now, who knows what curse is put on Cain after Cain killed Abel? You will wander the earth. One of the punishments for his murder was that you will wander the earth. So if you see people who are unable to settle down, I wonder if for some reason they may have the curse of Cain upon them. Because they just can't stop. When the world was made, they had Eden to live in. They lost Eden, then the flood came and the the, the ark lands on the top of Mount Ararat, it's still there. And they had the Fertile Crescent coming down from Turkey to Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat is on the Turkish border with uh, Russia, I think. So then you come down the map towards, the, towards India and you've got the, the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And what they were told when the ark landed on, the, uh, on Mount Ararat, they were told to go out and fill the earth. But they didn't. So they went to what was called the Fertile Crescent. And that's where the, the, tar, the, the Tower of Babylon was being built. They got to this, this delightful place that's sort of Edenic in description between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and they join up. That got so nice that they didn't go and spread across the earth, which was the command they had when they left the ark. I presume there's about 500 years between the, the ark and the, and, uh, the tale of the, the Tower of Babel. Now, it's natural for people to want to stop. It is not natural for people to continue to roam. It goes against that which has been put in us. And that happened in Genesis 11 when they built the Tower of Babel. They found a nice place, I'm going to stop here. Now I think you could probably even say it's fair for Noel and Wayne. They know this is a great place, so they're going to stop here. I don't want to move anywhere else. I lived in Pitt Town. So Wayne says, can you come out here? I said, I'd love to. This is a great place. That's inside of all of us. Now Satan doesn't have that home. Satan's got no place to go, so he wanders through the air. And Ephesians 3 is called the Prince of the Air. So... When you're in distress, sorry, when you're travelling, it's not the opportunity to settle down. It's snatched from you. So distress will arise. That's what it says. They will roam through the land, and when they are famished, they will become enraged, looking upward, and will curse the, their king and their god. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. <coughs> Excuse me. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. They'd consulted darkness to gain light. But all they got was further darkness and therefore distress. So if I consult the light, I'm only going to get further light. Are you with me on the logic? So therefore, I'm not going to get distress. I'm going to get light. The unredeemed mind of man 
has no will or knowledge to do anything but be contrary to God. Which is what the Israelites were here, were doing here. They were doing things that were contrary to God, but their mind was not redeemed. They weren't walking in light, they were walking in darkness. So if things keep going wrong, you've got to ask the question, why are they going wrong? Well, the answer is obvious in this passage. They're going wrong because you're consulting the wrong place. If Dr. A doesn't serve you well, go to Dr. B. And that's what happened to me. I didn't like the information from the first doctor, so I'm going to get another opinion. I went to get another opinion, he gave me the opinion that I need to see the third doctor. It all worked out good. But we needed other opinions, because if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. Make sense? So these guys here kept going to the spiritists and mediums who whisper and mutter. But they weren't getting anywhere. There was no success, there was no relief, there was no recompense. There was no refreshment from the information of the spiritists and the mediums. All they can do is act contrary to God. But this child is the mighty God. So, the next title is, We Have an Everlasting Father. It's interesting that Jesus calls himself, uh, well, Isaiah prophesies that Jesus is an everlasting father because he's the son. But let's reflect upon that a bit more. Earthly fathers always lose their rule and all earthly fathers are fractured in some, um, in some degree. So I've got three tin lids and I've got two grandchildren too. Did I tell you that? I've got two grandchildren. It makes me very happy. Guys, I don't have authority over my, my children anymore. They're in their own households. They may wish to listen to me. They may not wish to listen to me. But my authority over them is gone. When they're in my house, they will still do things my way. But it's only in my house because I own the house. Jesus says, the Father and I are one. That's how he works, John 10.30. So it's understandable that he's called the everlasting Father because they are as one. Now, this is a father and a son who will not lead their children into darkness. I don't know how many times, well only the Lord would know how many times fathers have led sons and daughters into darkness. Only because they were in darkness themselves. How often though, on the converse, is it that fathers who are in the light will lead their sons and daughters into the light? Because that's what they know. Fathers are about total provision, protection, guidance and nurture. That's the functions of a dad. And these provision, protection, guidance and nurture will continue in perpetuity with the everlasting father. Because this father can't die. Makes sense, doesn't it? He is not weak or ending as the rulers of darkness are. The rulers of darkness are completely weak. But they tell you they're telling the truth. But they can't mix it with the Father who is light. The Father who is everlasting. And the list goes on. This babe literally fathered the universe. And he's going to father the new one as well. 
is an everlasting father. Finally, the Prince of Peace. Now, do you know, we spoke about it, didn't we? Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about Satan as being the prince of the air. It's really early on, about one verse, one or two. Now, I see in my mind, so you can disagree with it, it's just a thought from Jeff, that there's a comparison between the Prince of Peace and the Prince of, air, uh, the, the, Prince of the Air, that in the sense that they're almost opposite, although the words don't say that. But we know that if you're living in the air, you're restless and you've got no home. You, you don't have peace within you, you're just crawling across the earth. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and peace is always going to trump restlessness, isn't it? Peace will always trump restlessness. So I don't know if, there is, if Isaiah meant contrast of the Prince of Peace versus the Prince of the Air, but they're both in the Bible, so I draw that contrast. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's good. Jesus used at Calvary peace to conquer the world. He did not fight back. And the world he was conquered. He is the one that gives no end to good government. So therefore, there is no end to peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with righteousness, with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. There is no end to good government. Now, it doesn't matter how your politics pan out. But if you're an American, you're panicking about the government or you're really happy with the government. Either way, that government is going to finish. So if you're happy with the government, if you're an American, you're happy with the government, okay, good, you've got peace in your heart for a little while. But it's always going to cease. And therefore, when something ceases, you risk that the second is worse than the first. But you hope the second is better than the first. Now, justice and righteousness will always be the order of the day with the Prince of Peace. Because that's how you get peace. You do things correctly and you do them righteously. So righteousness and order will be the measure of how this Prince will rule. And I'll go back to what I said last week too, which I've said here two years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. It is not love that is the measure of rule, it is justice and righteousness. That's what it says here, it says it all the way through Psalms. It is not love. Love is the fabric of God, but his decisions are made on justice and righteousness. That's his measuring line. That's his pedestal for what is right and what is wrong. Because with love, you can have love that's good and you can have love that's bad. But you can't have a bad righteousness. Because if you have a bad righteousness, it's not righteousness at all. So his way is always the or will always be the order of the day. That's what I want. So let's tie this all together. <coughs> Let those who love the Lord and hate evil 
for he guards the God, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright of heart. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. That's where this is going. And this seems to me, Psalm 97, verse 11, is a cameo of Christmas. <coughs> really sorry about that coffee. So guys, here's a little window from Psalm 97 about the Christmas season. It's the removal of evil, it's the lives of the faithful one, and it shines righteousness and joy to the upright of heart. Christian wisdom names darkness as darkness and light as light and helps us learn how to live and work in the light so that the darkness does not overcome us. And to finish, think about this. Darkness will never enjoy the last word. The time will come when the light will rule forever. Let us pray. I thank you, Lord, that you've put us into light. Oh, Lord, may your light beam ever more brightly each day into our lives, that we too will flee darkness and flee to you alone.